His curse never fails. Joshua chapter 23. We'll look at the entire chapter this evening. I'll begin reading at verse 1. Now it came to pass, a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right or to the left, and lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations, but as for you, no one was, has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Therefore take careful heed yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them and go into them and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps to you, and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you shall, sure, you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. Amen. Well, there is a current misunderstanding uh, that sometimes emerges in Protestantism, and that's the misunderstanding uh, between tradition and its place in Protestantism. While we don't believe tradition is on par with Scripture, we are not against it. We believe there is a place for it. We cannot forget that theology and doctrine has developed over the past 2,000 years in Christ's church. It is arrogant to think that we shouldn't consider what others thought and to forget those who come before us, even if we may disagree with some of their conclusions. And I surmise a lot of the modern problems that we have today, borne out and influenced by the Enlightenment, uh, uh, has brought about problems because we do not read the old stuff. We do not read what has come before us. We think we just need our Bible and ourselves, not recognizing that God has worked in and through his church throughout the past 2,000 years. One pastor said, and he heard it from another pastor, that the, the way back is the way forward when it comes to theology, when it comes to doctrine, and when it comes to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that's something of what we, I think, see here in Joshua chapter 23. And throughout this book, we've seen the fulfillment of God's promises, what God has done. Look at what the Lord has done to fulfill the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, that's the main idea of the book in 21, 43 uh, through 45. There was no falling words. All that God said to Abraham has come to pass. God has given them this land. Now they must retain it. And one thing that Joshua does in his farewell address is remind them, here's what Yahweh has done. Here's what Yahweh has said. Here's what Yahweh has written for you. Now cling to this very thing. Don't go uh, after things that are new, but go after the things that Yahweh has laid forth and set down. That's how they're going to retain the land. Remember, the book is divided into four parts all about the land. Entering, conquering, dividing, and then the last section is retaining the land. Chapters 22 through 24, and there are three assemblies. Chapter 22 is the assembly before a civil war, the possibility of civil war concerning true worship, concerning uh, a united nation in the worship of God Most High. And then tonight in chapter 23, we see that assembly concerning the obedience to the Lord God Most High. And the problem that we see in this chapter is the same problem we've seen throughout the book and throughout the, the whole Old Testament forgetfulness to the promises and commandments of God. And so Joshua here for Israel gives them this charge, and especially for the generation uh, uh, that is at the same as Joshua, especially for the elders, especially for the judges, heads, officers. They were with Joshua. They saw all that the Lord has done. They were eyewitnesses to everything that has come to pass. Do not forget the Lord God. Follow his ways. And even generations that follow, they might not have seen it, but yet it has been handed down. Yet the truth at least should have been handed down so they would have known and been uh, reminded of what Yahweh has done. And that's one problem in Israel's history. They forget the Lord. They do not know the Lord. They do not remember what the Lord God has done. And I also think there is application for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. We preach the gospel of Christ that has been handed down. That's exactly what John says in the book of 1 John. Here's something new from these heretics. And John says, no, you must hold fast to what has been handed down. Even too, in our modern times, I'm always skeptical of things that are new. Because usually in modern uh, academia, it's all about finding things that are new rather than going back to the things of the past. And so in Joshua 23, Joshua in his farewell address gives a warning about forgetting the unfailing word of the Lord. Do not forget the word of the Lord. Do not forget what he has said. Do not forget his covenant promises, both for blessing and for curse. And so we'll look at this warning under two headings this evening. First of all, we'll see the warning to follow God's word, verses 1 through 13. Then secondly, we'll see the warning of God's unfailing word, verses 14 through 16. So the warning of following God's word, and then the warning of God's unfailing word. So let's first look at the warning of following God's word, verses 1 through 13. And notice we see what the Lord has done for Joshua and Israel in verses 1 through 5. And notice in verse 1, we see, Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old, advanced in age. 
We saw in chapter 13, verse 1, he's old and advanced in age. That means he's no longer going to go out and engage in battle. That's probably why he's not mentioned uh, in 22 when Phineas goes to challenge the, the eastern tribes uh, and ask them what's going on. Uh, he's no longer going in and out for war. He is about to die. He is about, about to pass. And as he is waiting for his death, he's observing what's going on in Israel. He's recognizing and he's perhaps hearing from others that they're not driving out the nations. They're not driving out the Canaanites. We've already seen those cracks as they divided the land. We see the lands given. We see the borders of the land, the cities given. Then there's usually a verse or two in there that says, but they didn't drive out the whateverites. They didn't drive out the Jebusites. They didn't drive out the Maacathites. And that is just setting them up for disaster. And so Joshua in his farewell address is recognizing that. After a long time, God had given them rest. Notice that. After a long time, God had given them rest. Joshua recognizes what's happening. And in his last words, he warns them. In his last words, he reminds them of the good things that Yahweh has done. But he also gives them a warning concerning what should happen if they do not follow what Yahweh says. Henry says it was, one, so long as that Israel had time to feel the comforts of their rest and possessions in Canaan and to enjoy the advantages of that good land. We grow fat. We grow forgetful. Ah, we don't need to deal with those Canaanites. Everything's fine. And two, so long as that Joshua had time to observe which ways their danger lay of being corrupted, namely by their intimacy with the Canaanites that remained, against which he is therefore careful to arm them. Remember some, it's not even that they didn't drive them out, but some of them made them slaves. Now perhaps they talk with one another. Now there's a mixer going on. Now they're chatting uh, with one another. And perhaps it's opening up the opportunity for Canaanites to sway the Israelites. And so Joshua writes then in his final address to make sure he hammers home that you need to deal with them. You need to deal with the Canaanites. You need to drive them out. Otherwise, Things are not going to go so well. So he gathers all the heads. He gathers all of Israel. He gathers all the people. And this is what he says in verse 2. I'm old, advanced in age. We just have to recognize we're getting older. We just have to own that very fact. You see people in their 70s that are wearing skinny jeans and trying to be 20 years old. Just embrace you're getting older. We just have to embrace we're growing in a certain age, and Joshua underst- uh, understands that very thing. Verse 3, so he says, I'm old, advanced in age, I'm about to pass. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done uh, to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you. God has mentioned this many times. This is mentioned many times throughout the book. We've seen God fights for them. What was the purpose of the crossing of the Jordan? God will be with you. God will fight for you. In chapter 10, with the Amalekites and the sun standing still, that's not the Amalekites. That's in the book of Exodus with, um, with Moses. Uh, as they fight Adonai Zedek in his coalition, uh, the sun stands still. And what, is, what did they say? God, the Lord, fights for you. They've seen the Lord fight for them. They've seen the Lord do mighty works for them as they dispossess the land. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you. They've seen, they've witnessed, they saw the conquest, and they should not forget. Hopefully those things are, you know, 
drilled into their minds. Hopefully those things are imprinted into their brains. Usually that helps when you see certain things. They saw the waters part. They actually held the swords and the spears as they were trying to you know, drive it through a Canaanite. They were there. They had their you know, feet on the heads of the Canaanite kings. They saw all those things as a sign of what Yahweh has done. So don't forget. It should be still vivid in their minds and it should cause them not to forget. But we're very forgetful people. We might have seen something, but so often we can forget. And so he reminds them. He also reminds them of the land given. Verse 4. See, I divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with, with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And so we see that they have divided the land and a lot of the land has been given, but they still have to go take portions of that land. It was going to be a long dispossession, according to Exodus chapter 23. If they drove them out too quickly, beasts are going to come. And so they do it in a perhaps slower sort of way. The whole conquest that we see in, Joshua, uh, in the book of Joshua from 6 to uh, 12 is probably five years. And then even after that, you know, it was still perhaps a little bit slow. But sometimes things can be too slow. It can't be too fast, but it can't be too slow. And so he's recognizing that things are not moving as quickly as they probably should be. And then he gives the promise and assurance, just as the Lord fought for you, he will fight for you again. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out out of your sight. So you shall possess the land as the Lord your God has promised you. It's meant to be an encouragement. The Lord has fought for you. Now finish the job. The Lord said he would fight for you. The Lord did fight for you. Now go, based upon what you already know, and finish what he has said. You see, we know that Israel has a history of complacency. Israel has a history of fear. Remember that God said to the first generation, don't be afraid of the giants, I'll fight for you. But this generation has seen it. They've seen Yahweh fight for them. We've seen the mention of the Anakim, the giants in the land, and how God routed them. How Caleb took the mightiest of the Anakim to show God's might and to show God's power. God was with them. God was, uh, helped them. And so they needed kind of that reminder that God would fight for them. They had to lay hold of that promise, finish off what he said, do what he says, retain that land. And retaining that land is going to require faithfulness according to the Old Covenant. Faith, in the Old Covenant sense, was doing what Yahweh said with the assurance that he would fight for them. And so he reminds them, here's what Yahweh has done. Then he goes in, in verses 6 through 13, to remind them of what they must do. Here's Yahweh's promises. Now here's what you must do, Israel, in verses 6 through 13. And Matthew Henry gives us three C's. You must be courageous, you must be cautious, and you must be constant. Courageous, cautious, and constant. And notice we see in verse 6, you must be courageous. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Now, the idea of courageousness came up in Joshua 1.7. Remember, God told Joshua to be strong and to be courageous. That is, in the face of fear, you must still do what Yahweh says. Here's a good, 
where there's an obstacle in that way that causes you fear, you must have courage to push through that obstacle to go then and find the good. That's what courage is as a virtue. And so they must have, Joshua had courage that God gave to him to fight through the Anakim, to fight through what they saw. It doesn't matter what they saw. God said, here is this land. And so God said to him, be strong and have good courage and I will be with you. Well, now as he's about to die, he says to the people, be courageous when it comes to the book of the law. Why does he say it that way? Well, the reason he says that is because there's going to be a million temptations. There's going to be tons of Canaanites around still. There's going to be the temptation not to do what Yahweh says, not to drive them out. And if one is not faithful in driving them out, then they're going to have more temptations from around. And they must be courageous to do what is right according to God's ways. If they don't finish the job, then there's going to be problems. And if they don't do what Yahweh says, even despite not finishing the job, there's going to be bigger problems. They're going to be dispossessed. They're going to be taken and kicked out of the land. So they must do what Yahweh says in light of what is going to happen. You must do the right thing in the face of temptation. So you therefore be very courageous to keep and to do all that is said according to the book of Deuteronomy. Remember too that this is the old covenant. It is that, that external covenant of works made for life in the land. They want good things. You must do what Yahweh says. Here's what Yahweh has done. Here's how you retain the land. Go and do what Yahweh has says. And notice the cautiousness in verses 6 through 8. Lest you turn aside from it to the right or to the left. That is, you go off the true and right path. Lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you. If you don't dispossess them, you're going to go be just like them. And notice, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast, courageous, cautious, and constant. Holding fast to what Yahweh has said. Holding fast to the Lord God Most High. Certainly there were these warnings in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10 talks about this very thing. That is, don't swear by them. Don't, or, uh, don't swear by the, the Baals. Don't swear by these other gods. That was a warning in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him. And to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. By his name you swear. By his name, you, um, uh, he's, he is the one you serve. In him you hold fast, not in these other gods. So deal with them. Don't think about them. Don't mention their names. If a servant mentions that, of a Gibeonite, just remove them and do not even think about that very thing. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done until this day. Cling to him. Cling to him. Seize him. Do not let go of the Lord God and his word as you have done to this day. And for the most part, uh, they have done that very thing. And then in verses 9 through 15, we see why Israel must follow the Lord. Well, one, God was with them. And repetition. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. Don't fear these others that are in the land. Go and take them. The Lord has fought for you. Uh, God was with you, but as for you, no one was able to stand against you to this day. 
Notice he's using what Yahweh has done already to encourage them to lay hold. Brethren, that's important for our Christian walk to be reminded, not just of what God has done in Christ Jesus, but other moments God has answered your prayers or given you deliverance or helped you against certain sins. Remember that. Remember what Yahweh has done, not just in the big things, but in the little things of life as well. To help and spur us on, God was with me here, and God will be with me in whatever battle comes our way. And so that's similar here. God was with you. No one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man chased a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. So here's what the Lord has done. Here's what the Lord said he would do. Here's what he promised. But also notice, here's what the Lord will do if you don't do what I say. And we really do see this in verses 11 to the end, but specifically for our, our purposes now, verses 11 through 13. Take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Isn't that the Shema? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and all your mind. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Certainly Deuteronomy 10 highlights that very thing as well, that we, they need to love the Lord. How do they love the Lord? By doing what he says, by doing good towards him and good defined by what he has said. And namely, the old covenant laws that are laid forth in detail in Deuteronomy. Love him, serve him, or else, if indeed, verse 12, you go back and cling. Same word as hold fast, verse 8. You shall hold fast to the Lord, or will you hold fast to another God? Will you hold fast to what the Yahweh, uh, Yahweh of Israel, who saved you and redeemed you and gave you life in the land, or will you hold fast to what seems alluring, to what seems new, to what seems like it is working. And so you see that there. We, or else if you indeed go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, they let the remnant stay, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them and they to you. Remember, you're not supposed to marry a Canaanite. You're not supposed to marry one who is not an Israelite. There are exceptions. Rahab is brought into the fold, but... By and large, the people were not supposed to marry those who were not Israelite. You see this problem in the book of Ezra. You see this problem in the book of Malachi after exile, after they did terrible things, after they were sent into uh, captivity. They should have known better by the time Malachi came along, but they did not do that very thing. Instead, they still tried to marry those who were not part of the covenant community. See, conversion dating is not a good thing. And go into them and they to you, know for certain, verse 13, the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. Obey the Lord, he'll drive them out. Don't obey the Lord, he will not. But they shall be snares and traps to you. The Lord will give you over to them and scourges on your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. There's going to be curses that shall come upon you if you do not do what Yahweh says. If you go after other gods, if you don't obey Yahweh, these curses are going to come upon you. Retaining the land is vital for a good life with Yahweh in Israel, in the promised land. And holding fast to what he said is most important. And certainly there is plenty of application 
for us when it comes to holding fast to the word of the Lord. Brethren, we have a greater covenant, a covenant that cannot be broken, of better promises, a mediator uh, of, of a covenant with better promises. And so certainly that's the purpose of 1 John, to remind us, certainly individually and corporately, but individually about what God says about who we are, what God says about what he has done for us. And certainly there are many things that have been mentioned uh, in that book. Fellowship with God, how do we have that through Christ? Forgiveness, how do we have that through Christ? Knowledge of God, how do we have that through Christ? What's a test? The commandments of God in light of what Christ has done. And notice even there, here came these heretics who taught something new, who taught something different, who taught a new revelation. It was an experience. There's nothing new under the sun, brethren. Pentecostalism, even though historically it emerges in the 1900s, there are iterations of that, probably not necessarily causation or connections, but there are similar things that arise in history throughout the centuries, throughout the ages. They've always come up all the time. And certainly we see that in the book of 1 John. Here's your status and what's he saying. Here's who you are. Here's what you know. Here's who you know. And it comes from trusting in that word, trusting in what he said and walking by faith in what the Lord God has says. Following something new and enticing is only going to lead to disaster. Davis says, this may begin with the general demand to develop a Christian mind. He's talking positively what we can do. But also embraces specific acts and decisions, such as seeking only a Christian companion in marriage. How many have pierced themselves through the needless sorrows by trampling on this latter command? Brethren, this is where theology matters. I remember Dr. Renahan gave this example about why theology is important and why what we believe helps with what we practice. He had someone come up to him when he was pastoring, say, I love this girl. She's beautiful. She's pretty, but she's not a believer. What do I do, Doc? What do I do, Pastor Renahan? He's like, well, what do you believe? Well, the Bible says we can't marry someone who's not a believer. There's your answer. And so belief helps us with that. The truth helps us with that. And he says, the application, or Davis goes on to say, the application of obedience, separation, and Christian experience is frequently difficult and sometimes agonizing. But the difficulties or tensions do not negate the demand. We cannot be taken out of the world, but we must be kept from the evil one. That's important, isn't it? You see, brethren, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. We're going to see this on Sunday when it comes to what the world is. You see, we don't become Hutterites. We don't become Amish. We don't go live in the bush to try and get away from everything. We're not monks. Uh, we have to live in the world, but we don't do engage in the sins of the world. We have to be separate. And certainly the church as an institution must be separate. When we enter in the doors, when we come into the house of the Lord and gather as the saints, whatever doors we enter into, we really do enter into the new heavens and new earth. We really do ought to, and we really do enter into the world unseen. We really do worship with the saints and angels in heaven. We don't see it, but we do that very thing. It really is a country when we come in. It really is our heavenly country when we enter into the church of Christ. That's why it needs to look different in our worship. 
And certainly as we go out and live in the world, we certainly have, might have jobs that we share with unbelievers, but we must be faithful to the word of God. We must be honest. We must be kind. We must work hard. Uh, we must do what Yahweh says, regardless of what others may say. So there is that tension. We must do what Yahweh says, but we live in the world in which we live. And so we must not be led by and enticed by things of this world, but still live in it. And certainly the same heresies and problems have arisen in the past, shouldn't we listen. And certainly the application for individuals, there is application for the church as an institution of holding fast to the word. Isn't this what the purpose of the whole pastoral epistles is, but specifically 2 Timothy? Paul on his dying day, the last things he says, rightly divide the word of God. The word of God is not chained. He talks about how the word of God is inspired, how it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly complete. Even before that, he says that the sacred writings, the Old Testament, are able to make one wise unto salvation through Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say his final command, my favorite command, not my favorite command, but one of my favorite commands, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Here's what's going to happen. There's going to come people who want their ears that are itchy to be scratched. They want to heap up teachers for themselves that teach them things they wish to hear, that make things more palatable, that make things easier. All that doctrine stuff, it just divides. Let's just make things as narrow and as minimal as possible. Brother, you know what the definition of evangelicalism is? As a movement, minimalism. What's the least amount of doctrines we need to have to all just get along and sing kumbaya and all be friends? It's the Bible and its authority, but even then, everybody, nobody follows that. And then also the resurrection. Well, yeah, Trinity, we don't have to really think about that. We can talk about how God is, you know, the three persons are in community with one another. We don't have to think about who the Trinity is and who God is. We don't have to read the creeds. We don't have to do any of that sort of stuff. Or perhaps he, uh, or, or even think about salvation and think about what that looks like. You see, we need to hold fast to the word. I'm going to give um, a historical il- illustration about how things can fall very quickly. And this illustration comes from the Turretins. Francis and his son, Jean Alphonse. Francis Turretin is a giant when it comes to reformed scholasticism, reformed orthodoxy, reformed doctrine, a giant of the faith. He wrote what's called the Formula Consensus Helvetica. It was the Swiss Confession of Faith uh, with Johann Heidegger. Uh, wrote it very uh, thoroughly. I, haven't, I think I have read it, but yeah, another confession of faith to codify and to help the churches in Switzerland. Well, then his son came along. And then we have the Enlightenment begin to come along. And Jean Alphonse is like, do we have to really not be friends over this doctrine? And so he undid everything his father said. He undid everything his father did. He undid uh, and took away that formula, consensus, Helvetica. Things can fall very quickly if we do not hold fast to the word of the Lord. That is a reminder. That is an injunction. That is an important thing for us to remember, to hold fast to it and to follow it because Joshua is warning them 
of following God's word, or wanting them to follow God's word. So that is the first point. Let's then move to the warning of God's unfailing love in verses, unfailing word, verses 14 through 16. The warning of God's unfailing word, verses 14 through 16. And notice in verse 14, the good word of the Lord never fails. This is encouraging. This is what we love to all hear. The love of God never fails. And that, brethren, that is all true. I believe that very much. So Romans 8 is wonderful. You know, nothing can separate us from the love of God for those that are in Christ Jesus. Absolutely true. And that's what he says in verse 14. First, he talks about how he's going to die. Behold, this day I'm going to the way, the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. I'm going to pass. Another leader is going to pass. What will happen? He wants us to pay attention in his dying day. And certainly in Joshua, Joshua, Judges 2, 7, we read, Joshua dies. They served the Lord during the days of Joshua and the days of the elders uh, of Joshua. He died at 110. He was buried. But then verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation after them arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Now perhaps the leaders grew lax. Maybe the fathers didn't do family worship. Or maybe the leaders did their job and the fathers did do family worship. Uh, but the kids just tuned out the Pentateuch stories and just decided to go their own way. But regardless of how it happened, the main thing is clear in verse 10. They didn't know. They forgot. They forgot the Lord. And certainly we see that in the book of Hosea in chapter 2 we saw on Sunday night. They forgot the Lord. They forgot what he did. They forgot his good things. And so... Joshua, again, is reminding them of this before he passes. Sorry, Joshua. We know what happens later on uh, in history. At this point, he doesn't know. Well, he does have some idea what's going to happen. But at this point, it is a warning. But it's encouraging for now. Verse 14, you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. That is the main point of the book, isn't it? Not one word of the Lord has failed. We saw that in chapter 21, verses 43 through 45. He fulfilled his promise to Abraham. He fulfilled his promises to the people to bring them into the land. Now they must retain it according to the terms of the Old, co or the old Covenant. And God is faithful to his word, whether that's to bring blessing for obedience or to bring curses for disobedience. And this is where the tone, still part of the overarching tone is uh, kind of warning, but it shifts from here's the good things Yahweh has done, but Yahweh is also faithful to his word when it comes to cursing. Verses 15 through 16, the curse of the Lord never fails. Therefore it shall come to pass that just as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you so the lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the lord your god has given to you god's word never fails even according to his judgments and god certainly promised even during the time of the prophets he said to them judgment's coming what will you do there's this impending day of the lord Here's what's happening. And as we saw with Hosea, it's kind of a kindness that Yahweh 
did that very thing. Here's it's coming. Here's its impending destruction. It is coming this way. And so it very much happens. We can be sure that God will bring about the day of judgment, right? We can be sure that that day shall come. That day of the Lord shall come at his appointed time. And certainly for Israel, that day comes and they shall be destroyed and driven from the land that the Lord your God has given you. And it's a reminder. Three times he's mentioned the Lord until you perish from the good land which the Lord your God has given you. He'll destroy you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. And then in verse 16, you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. Reminder, reminder, reminder. God gave it to you, and God is now going to kick you out according to what he said, according to the terms of the Old Covenant. And as we're going to see in Joshua 24, all the people say, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to, uh, to serve other gods. And what do they do? They forsake the Lord God, and they serve other gods. We saw it in Exodus, right? Before the golden calf, they engage in the covenant ceremony. Yeah, we got this, Moses. Everything will be great. Where's Moses? Let's worship this golden calf instead. I mean, we are so fickle. We say things and do other things. Uh, we're just hypocritical beings. And certainly that is the case for Israel. But just as the good, so too shall the harmful things come. And notice the reason for that cursing. We've already seen it, but it's reiterated again in verse 16. Uh, 16. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given to you. Transgressing the covenants, serving other gods. And what's interesting, Joshua says when. <laughs> it's like he knows it's going to happen I mean, Moses already prophesied this in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to not serve Yahweh. You're going to be kicked out. But thankfully, there's the encouragement in Deuteronomy 30 that Yahweh will bring them back, prophesying the new covenant era. Uh, but Joshua knows when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, he will drive you out of that land. They shall die from this good land. They shall be no more. Because they forgot the Lord God. And his word never fails. And isn't that the application for us today as well? Certainly we hold fast to his word. And the reason we hold fast to his word is because it never fails. And there's blessings. God's word never fails when it comes to those blessings and what he says. Individually, God says your sins are forgiven. God says that the new covenant cannot be broken. God says he's promised to never leave you or forsake you. God said Christ will come again. And God says we have an inheritance. That does not change. And God's word never fails. Davis says none of it is boring or tedious or dull as though the next generation would only yawn. What is dull about God who became flesh, who did what no one had ever done, perfectly kept God's law, who became the God forsaken one in my place? who trampled all over death, who reigns now over the universe. This faith we must teach to our children. For Canaan has all sorts of evangelists calling for decisions to fertility worship and sexual freedom. We cling to this word. We cling to the truth. We cling to what Yahweh has said individually, 
but also as the church as well. God has said that the word is not chained. God has said that the word runs swiftly. God has said it is a double-edged sword. There is a command and an assurance. Preach the word. Why? Because it is not chained. Preach the word. Why? Because it's how Yahweh works. He works through means to edify, to save, to convict, to harden. We believe that God's word is the means by which he brings about and advances his kingdom. Now, brethren, I have my own problems, and the church has its supposed own problems. We are not a perfect church. Heard lots of different things over the years. I'm, I'm grouchy. I can be a little mean. That's true. I definitely can be grouchy and be a little mean. Uh, we're sometimes unloving. Uh, we don't do this. We don't have that. We don't care about this. You don't have things for my kids. Blah, 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 sometimes, if I'm just being honest with you. But one thing I've always believed, and one thing I can say for all my issues, is I've always believed that God will work through his word. I believe that is my task, to preach the word. That is what my calling is. Not to be your life coach, not to be your social calendar planner. It is to preach the word of God. In season and out of season. Because I really do believe he will save, he will edify, and he will harden. Because the word of God runs swiftly. Brethren, do you believe that? Do you believe that with me? Do you believe that that's how Yahweh works? And that is a blessing we ought to cling to. But we must also recognize the curse of the Lord never fails. Jesus says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your trespasses and sins, John 8, 24. That is sure and true. Like Israel in Hosea's day, or Nineveh in Nahum's day, or the people in Noah's day, people today scoff at the idea of judgment. But God's word never fails. And perhaps we need to drive it home a little bit more for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our confession in 14.3 and 18.1 speaks of what's called a temporary believer. You see, on this side of heaven, we believe in what's called professing churches. There is no perfect church on this side of heaven. There might be those who come and join the church according to our eyes and according to our ears. Might be sound like a believer, but in reality... They are not. They are a professing believer. And so a lot of the application with Joshua and Hosea really drives home to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think this is where Hebrews 6 can be helpful. Can you turn with me to Hebrews 6? This is where we're going to close. There's a lot of things I don't understand about Hebrews. I'm going to tell you that right now. But one, some things I really do understand about Hebrews. Number one, it's a sermon to encourage but to warn. And the reason it's warning is because the Hebrews were concerned perhaps with persecution. And so rather than pressing on in the things that are greater in the new covenant ways, they, some were being allured back to the old ways. This is the one area where the old way is not as good as the new. Uh, as we press on in Christian history, as we press on uh, in doctrine, we ought to go back. But we're not going back to the old covenant. We're, we're new covenant people. I just want to uh, clarify that. So they were going back to the old covenant, which is not a good thing. So that is important when we come to this warning passage. And there, there's a lot of ink spilt 
A lot of Arminians like to come to this and go, see, a true believer can fall away. Well, there's some things to point out about it. Number one, he distinguishes in verse 9 and verse 4 between beloved and those. And he's talking hypothetically. If someone should, in these ways, this is what shall happen. And perhaps it's akin to the parable of the sower. The seed that is sown is the word of God that goes forth. And to our eyes, uh, there are four sort of ways that the seed falls. One, it's, you know, it goes, but it's snatched up. Uh, it goes, but it's not rooted. And so it shoots up quickly, but withers. Another grows among thorns and it's crowded out. And then the last one is the only one that is efficacious. So the God, the pastor, the preacher preaches and God is the one who brings that growth and brings that work and brings that change. And I think that certainly helps us when we consider Hebrews chapter 6. And so this is a warning for us all to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It is for professing Christians. And a couple ways that I, it highlights that, uh, a couple things we can highlight where it shows this is not talking about a true believer. Tasted. They haven't eaten. They haven't actually believed upon Christ, but they've only tasted. Or enlightened. This word isn't so much the same. It's not the same as the one in Ephesians, but can talk about they heard the gospel. They heard it preached. They tasted the heavenly gift. They perhaps saw the work of the Spirit in others. They became partakers of the Holy Spirit, not actual companions, not actual friends. There's a different word that's used here, but perhaps an outsider. They were perhaps saw some of the things that had gone on, but the Holy Spirit did actually indwell them. They have tasted the good word of God. Again, they heard it preached. They saw the powers of the age to come. It is a professing believer. It is one who tasted, it is one who might have seemed, it, it was, might be like one of those ones uh, where the seed was cast out into dry ground or amongst the thorns. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucified again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. He goes on to say, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessings from God, but it bears thorns and briars. It is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Then he goes on to talk about assurance. Beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Then he goes on to say in verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish. That's what these warning passages are for. That's what Joshua is trying to do. To awaken the people. To cause us to stop and consider. To cause us to examine. To cause us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To cause us to make our calling and election sure. Now brethren, our assurance, as our confession wonderfully says, is in Christ. 18.1 says, although temporary believers and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and state of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish. Yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, 
may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. These warning passages are important, dear brethren, and I'm not being an Arminian when we speak in this way. I believe that not one of Christ's sheep shall be snatched from his hand, but that shall be finally revealed in full on that day. It is true that there are those who may profess to believe in Christ, but in reality have never laid hold of him. These warnings are something we must consider. These warnings are something we must remember. And these warnings ought to drive us to our great high priest, but also cause us to remember that the curse of the Lord never fails. There are no falling words with the Lord. He really will judge the earth earth and punish those who don't follow him by faith. Well, let us pray. Well, Lord our God, we are thankful for your promises. Thank you for the promises of the new covenant uh, in which we shall not fall, that it shall not be broken. If we have truly believed on Christ, our mediator, we have all the benefits and blessings that are found uh, in it. And we can have that assurance as your people. And so we pray that we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we would make our calling and election sure, and that we truly would walk by faith according to your ways. May we know that we have eternal life. May we know that we walk in him. May we know that we are children of God. And thank you for the assurances that you give, but thank you that they are founded and grounded upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And we certainly pray if there are any here today who are professing Christians, who are not laying hold of Christ by faith, but laying hold of something else. We pray that they would lay hold of Christ. We pray that they would look to him. Thank you for these warnings that are for our good. Thank you for these warnings that teach us and uh, uh, if we uh, help us and cause us to stop and consider, especially if we are being uh, growing lazy, if we are growing tired, if we are growing um, complacent in the things of you. We ask and pray that we would always press on in the faith, that we would always grow in the things of you, that we would always hold fast your word, that we would cling to the promises that you've given, that you've given to us individually, and that you've given to the church as a whole, that we would not waver in our task, but always be faithful to do what you have said. So often we can be drawn in by new things, so often we can be um, uh, interested in new things, but help us. Uh, to love your ways. Help us to love the things that have been handed down. Help us to love that blessed gospel of free and sovereign grace, which has been handed down, which has been codified in your word and which still works as your word goes forth. So we ask and pray that tonight would be edifying for us. Tonight would be uh, uh, rebuking for us and that we would seek to walk in your ways. Help us by your spirit to do these very things and thank you for your warnings. Thank you for your promises. And thank you for your word that never fails. Be with us now by your spirit, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen.